It is Friday. Happy Friday to you and yours. Oh, man, the weekend is here, baby. Only thing I'm upset about this weekend is Ball State doesn't play until Tuesday. That midweek action now, you know, Saturday, my Saturdays are normally built around what time does Ball State kick off. Uh, now I don't have that. Now I'm going to have to, I'll probably go over to the doghouse and bet some games and watch some football Saturday and Sunday with Steve Ford and the guys over at the doghouse. Uh, but no Ball State to watch. But other than that, I got no complaints. Uh, Uncle Jimmy, for your update on him, uh, I think he's chosen a Halloween costume. He's going to go as Caitlyn Jenner uh, to a Halloween party. I believe he's hosting at his house. Uh, that's what he told me yesterday. If that changes, uh, I'll update you some t at some point over the weekend over my Twitter feed. Uh, but I guess you really think that shit's funny, huh? <laughs> you really think that shit's funny, huh? Yeah, really, huh? huh? I'm, I'm going as Caitlyn Jenner, huh? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead on, Mr. Big Ass. Go ahead. Keep on cracking your jokes. Go right on oh, in. Uh, what was you saying? Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going as Caitlyn Jenner, right? Come on. I had no idea. I cried no damn good and well you didn't. I had, had no the little skeleton in the chair. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy dead. <laughs> uh, Uncle Jimmy don't want to be on TV. He done lost weight. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy in the house. I, I, People, I'm rarely surprised. Uh, I am 1,000% surprised. I had no idea you were here. How long have you been in the building? Uh, ever since you've been sitting back there uh, getting your makeup on. For real? But man, I take that back. Ever since you came and stood right there in the door and talked to him, and I stood behind the door. Oh, wow. <laughs> you sound good, man. Well, look, after you, if you would have seen this doctor bill they just sent me, <laughs> you hurry up and get your ass back to work, too. <laughs> Jim, you look good, man. Jason, you look good. I, I, am, I, I am rarely surprised. Dude, you know, I got to confess this now. Uh, you know, I did not go to the hospital to visit Jim. No, he did not. Too afraid. I'm right gonna... around the corner from him. <laughs> right around the corner from him, where he jog every day. So this is my first time seeing you in weeks. Now we talk on the phone virtually every day, but you, man, you look good, man. Thank you. I feel good. You look like you moving good. Okay. Okay, what I just tell you, I just got that doctor bill yesterday. Oh. Believe me. <laughs> Believe Motivated. me. Oh, you're going to see me back to work. <laughs> That's I about was, to happen. You, you met the new uh, makeup uh, artist? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And so she asked me today, hey, when do you think Uncle Jimmy? And I'm sure that was a setup. Yeah, she must have yeah. already known. Uh, and I said, I, I was like, oh, probably two or three weeks. But <laughs> I told her, I was like, I don't want him to come back until he's 100%. Because I'm one of them people, I don't accept excuses. Oh, I'm, I'm playing hurt. No. <laughs> you show up on the clock, you playing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Ain't exactly. no word after that. Yeah. Well, actually, so let, let, let's get this clear. Yeah. I'm just showing up for this post-game interview. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> just so you don't start no mess here. Jim, 
awesome to see you. I know the audience is happy to see you. We talk about you every day. They've been putting positive energy and thoughts and prayers. Okay, then let's tell the audience this real quick, because I've been waiting for this one here, because y'all know Jason talking about, oh, I love Uncle Jimmy. Oh, I Hey, man, why, if you love me so much, why in the hell do you send a case of popcorn to my house? That was for your kids, Jim. That was for your kids. Okay, but do you also remember when we started this job, you said, Jim, don't bring them donuts in here to the job. Don't yeah. bring them into the office, remember? Jim, you don't live here at the office. You have a very lovely home. That makes it even worse. What? Those are for your kids, Jim. Them donuts was for Corey and Chris. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Uh, that's a very good point. Uh, but I, I thought I had diabetes. That, sent, sent candy grams to the hospital every day. That was literally one of my best friends, like a brother to me, Ralph Wise. His son, that was his school drive project. You know, he sent me, his son sent me a very nice note, Uncle Jason, I need some support on the school. So I, you know, I wasn't gonna let the popcorn come to my house. I noticed. <laughs> and noticed that picture I sent of you had an empty, uh, uh, a quarter of an empty bag. Yeah, yeah. It was delicious. Yeah, all right, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Jimmy is back, wow. I'm just hoping this doesn't mess with this fire I'm about to start because I'm all fired up. Make it happen, Captain. About this fire I'm about to start. Make it happen. Uh, we have a fantastic show uh, for you today. Uncle Jimmy's here. Uh, he entered the building by cursing. Jim, there's been a lot less cursing since uh, you went away. Uh, uh, but anyway, it's awesome to have you back. On a scale of one to 10, I would call it an 11. I'm in the level of joy I feel right now looking at you. And I, I'm saying that in all seriousness. I have never been so more creeped out in my life. And you should be. I'm, <laughs> I'm being, hey man, I'm overfilled with Good joy. Good seeing you, brother. Honestly, brother. Man. Truly. Y'all don't realize we really haven't seen each other since. I know. It's, it feels <laughs> like three months because you was out with COVID, then you came back, and I'm about to go full Randy Moss. Which brings me to the point, at some point, Lord, when is Jason going to start putting in his, putting in his dues? <laughs> Jim, you know when I put in my dues? Every night when I hop on that treadmill for two Boy, hours. Well, I tell you what, if that's what's saving your life, I bet you I get one of them damn things tomorrow. <laughs> bet you. Jim, I've been in the gym, and I've been eating much better, and I got to thank you. But I got to quit talking about it because, you know, I don't know. You weren't here when I mocked Randy Moss for crying. And, and damn, that's damn near the emotion overtaking me right now. Just but, 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 but you do understand, yeah. no, I wasn't here, but I did hear you did call me talking about, Jim, you sure you can't come out to dinner with me? Because Booger McFarlane invited me to dinner, <laughs> and I'm not sure this ain't a setup. Man, I'm going to look up and Randy Moss going to come out of nowhere. Jamel Hill going to come out of nowhere. That girl with the pretty legs, you were scared as hell. <laughs> now, see, you done told Booger McFarlane's business, man. You know, you know uh, these people in the media can't be seen out with me in public. They, they, they can't. Look, all I know is Randy Moss said he was going to touch you up on site. And, and came to Nashville and I never heard from him. <laughs> man, whatever. <laughs> you like, Jim, I don't care if you're in a wheelchair. You sure you can't come out? Like, like you gonna repair and protect me. As long as he don't hit me in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> oh on, man, wow. let's go to work. Yeah, let's. Let me go to work. Quick. Make it happen, Captain. Let, let, me, let me Anyway, 
Stay where you are. We have a all-star lineup of fearless soldiers. Uh, you guys know the cast of characters. Delano Squires is going to join us. Delano, Jim, was on Tucker Carlson last night, the highest rated cable news show on TV. Delano was on there last night. Delano's blowing up. Man. Delano might be the new HNRC. <laughs> Maybe. You might be right. But anyway, he's going to be on the show here shortly. Uh, Shamika Michelle been killing it. Hey, man, Shamika left me a note. She left you a note. That ain't none of your business. She left me a note in my, oh. in my, in my dressing room. She did? Oh. Uh, did you hear about her line yesterday? No. That uh, th there's this guy on a subway that struck a woman, and he was clearly crazy. And she said yesterday that he was nuttier than Monica Lewinsky's blue dress. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that that's funny, because yeah. you know how they found out that that was her dress? That that blue dress, you know how they find out that that was hers? What? Because it had a water bills in it. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, you and Shamika, y'all need to keep y'all's conversation. Uh, Rashad McCants, our newest soldier. Have you heard about Rashad McCants, former NBA player? Yeah. Yeah, this dude is like a killer, man. Why do you think I got my ass back to work? I see what the <laughs> hell's going on. Look, I'm talking about, you know how in the movies they say, go on without me. <laughs> man, I ain't even got hurt yet, and you done went on without <laughs> Shot McCann's been killing it. He's going to be on the show. And <laughs> my Asian brother from another mother, you want to talk about somebody that wants your job, Lord have mercy. What's, what's his name, Steve Wong? Steve Kim. Yeah, Steve yeah. Kim crushes it. He's our cleanup hitter. My guy. Uh, everything. So he'll be coming on at the end of the show. But Jim, uh, pipe down. Let me start this fire. It's a good, you've taken me out. I was all heated and fired up about this fire. Now I'm just overcome with joy. Uncle Jimmy's back healthy. Doesn't shock me here at work. I literally, when I heard your voice, I was like, they got this dude on the phone. Anyway, anyway let, let me get my zen back. Let me get, and oh, before I go anywhere, so you done threw me off. I want to tell our audience, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe, hit that notification. Send a shout out to Uncle Jimmy. Uh, send a hallelujah, a thank God for Uncle Jimmy's return to better health and improving health. But also, Sign up for induction in that fearless army. Go out and recruit some new recruits to this army. We need men and women uh, who want to be fearless, women who want to support fearless men, and men willing to stand up and be men. Join the fearless army so you can deal with these fires that I'm starting. All right. <clears throat> I used to be a dues-paying, card-carrying member of the NAACP. And then I realized the organization used the struggle of working class black people to advocate for elites and other made members of the Alphabet Mafia. I have an instinctive disdain for elites. It's why I can't stand William Edward Burkhart Du Bois, better known as W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, the elitist Harvard University clown who, at the behest of white liberal handlers, argued that a special talented 10th of black people could lead black America. Northern white liberals decided they could 
identify an elite group of black people, a talented 10%, and use them to manipulate and control the black race. In 1903, these white overseers commissioned Dubois to write his infamous Talented 10th essay. Six years later, these same flock of overseers founded the NAACP and made Dubois the black face of the organization. The NAACP is a blackface organization. Mm. It was founded by and has been funded by white liberals since day one. Its highest honor is the Spingarn Medal, an outstanding achievement award given to black people. It's named after Joel Spingarn, a white Jew who served as either chairman of the board, treasurer, or president of the NAACP until his death in 1939. The NAACP is an organization run by and for elites. It was allegedly founded as a biracial movement to advance black people. Advancing black people now includes objecting to a Texas law that prohibits abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. On Thursday, the NAACP issued an open letter to the Players Associations of the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, and the WNBA, urging players to not sign with teams in the state of Texas. Let me quote here from the open letter. As we watch an incomprehensible assault on basic human rights unfold in Texas, we are simultaneously witnessing a threat to the constitutional guarantees for women, children, and marginalized communities. Abortion is a basic human right. Abortion after six weeks is a basic human right. The advancement of black people is contingent on the right to abort a baby. The NAACP is putting a black face on wickedness. Abortion is a black issue now? It's the same tactic white liberals use to define LGBTQ issues as black. We, black people, are the faces of the BLM, LGBTQ, CRT, Alphabet Mafia. Liberal elites, both white and black, use black people as pawns to execute an agenda that doesn't serve black people. The NAACP fronted the assault on former President Trump's initiative to slow immigration at our southern border. In June of last year, the NAACP won a Supreme Court case, Trump versus the NAACP, that stopped the Trump administration from dismantling the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA. DACA is an immigration policy that allows exemptions for minors brought to America unlawfully. DACA isn't a black issue. Black Americans, we've been here for hundreds of years. We're not here unlawfully. It's a policy supported by white liberals to increase their political power. We, black people, foolishly believe enhanced political power for white liberals improves the lives of black people. 
It does help the so-called talented 10th of black people. It helps elites. By bank account, I'm considered elite. By birth, mentality, and education, I'm working class. My father did not graduate high school. He started out as a factory worker and eventually opened a small tavern in the inner city. My mother, she was a lifelong factory worker. I went to college on a football scholarship, not because my family could afford to pay and not because of any great academic achievements in high school. I'm not elite. I would have never been identified as one of the talented 10. I'm that old school American, common sense, grit, show up to work every day, American dream. I'm, I'm what I represent, what America used to be about, people from the bottom who by hard work, not by birth, not by the perfect family, not by legacy, but by, through hard work, work their way up the ladder. I'm not an elite. No Ivy League school, no prestigious academic institution had an ounce of interest in me. I graduated from Ball State University with a 2.3 grade point average. I wasn't interested in joining the Greek boule fraternal organizations. Many of them make great contributions to their respective communities. My best friends are members of Kappa Alpha Psi and Omega Sci-Fi. But Greek fraternities don't fit my personality. There's often an elitist mentality that comes along with membership. There's certainly pressure to conform to a group mentality. I embrace that pressure when it comes to religious faith. I reject it in all other spaces. The NAACP supports unrestricted abortion rights. I don't. I don't want to be a part of any group that does. Further, the NAACP wants to pretend that Texas's new voting laws restrict black Americans from voting. It's a lie. The laws attempt to restrict cheating and prevent illegal immigrants from voting. The NAACP's agenda in Texas is to push against the abortion restrictions. The organization included comments about voting laws so its real agenda could be slightly cloaked as an effort to protect black people. The talented 10th are in cahoots with the satanic agenda of the far left. The far left want a do what thou wilt society. Do what thou wilt is the philosophy of the satanic occult established by Aleister Crowley in the early 1900s, the Thelema occult. Do what thou wilt justifies humanity giving into and legitimizing every human desire. If you're born a man and feel like a woman, go for it. If you're a grown man, attracted to young children, mm. go for it. If you're too undisciplined to protect, to practice safe sex or abstinence and you create a child, kill it while it remains in the womb. Do what thou wilt. 
Christianity is about acknowledging, taming, and combating our sinful nature and desires. The, NAAC, the NAACP's position on abortion lets you know where the organization stands on God. I'm asking all professional athletes to examine where they stand on God and re-examine where they stand on the NAACP. Don't fall for the black face. W.E.B. Dubois painted that on to conceal the wickedness of his handlers. Now that's my fire. And we're gonna bring uh, Delano Squires on to help fan these flames. Uh, I think this is a topic that Delano is as passionate about as I am. Uh, but before we do that, before we get to Delano, just give me a second here to tell you about my good friends over at Good Ranchers. When is the last time you think you had American meat? Chances are it's been way too long. Did you know that over 80% of the grass-fed beef sold in the U.S. is imported from overseas? My friends at Good Ranchers have traveled the country on a mission to help the American family. How? By working together with local farms and ranchers and shipping straight to your door. GoodRanchers.com is a safe and convenient way to order your meat. They save your family money and help the American farmer. GoodRanchers.com delivers American craft beef and better than organic chicken. They have T-bones, fillets, strips, gourmet burgers, and more, and at half the price of online competitors. You get the steakhouse quality you deserve at a price every family can afford. Don't bring mystery meats into your home. Be the hero your family needs by ordering from Good Ranchers today. Go to GoodRanchers.com to buy now or subscribe today and save 20% on each box of mouth-watering meats. Subscribing brings the cost down to less than $5 a meal. Plus, right now, get an additional $20 off and free express shipping. If you go to GoodRanchers.com fearless or use the promo code fearless at checkout. That's 20% off and free express shipping at goodranchers.com slash fearless. Know where your meat comes from with goodranchers.com slash fearless. Support the people and the sponsors who are supporting me and this show. It's important. Delano Squires, next. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to Washington, D.C. and uh, bring the smartest man on the show into the conversation, uh, Professor Delano Squires, uh, Professor D. Uh, Delano, uh, fresh and we'll, we'll, you know, fresh off his appearance from Tucker Carlson, he's just here slumming with us right now. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that here in a second, mm -hmm. but I want to start uh, with the fire that I started and my uh, skepticism and or disdain for the NAACP and how they've stepped out here in Texas on this abortion issue and suggesting to athletes that they should not play in Texas. And, and I just feel this is, the, the, the NAACP has been an organization that puts a black face on issues that have virtually nothing to do with advancing black people but it mm. gets framed as a black issue. 
And, and I, I just, your thoughts on the NAACP's move here in Texas and asking athletes to not operate or sign with teams in Texas, your reaction? So I'd say a couple of things, Jason. So one, um, I think the NAACP is an organization that has had a rich legacy to this point, right? And I, I take your points in terms of um, Du Bois and, and his politics and his worldview and his um, support for communism and, and Marxism. But the NAACP was at the forefront of basically every um, movement that led to additional freedoms and, and civil rights for black folk, let's say from emancipation or at least from 1910 through you know the 1960s. So um, my issue isn't so much that you know Du Bois had a framework in terms of talented 10th and a leadership class because wherever you go, there are going to be leaders. A, a country has leaders, a community has leaders, a family has leaders. The question is who those leaders are and where are they leading people to? Um, and I think what you've seen over time is that the NAACP, and this goes to your point, um, has become an organization that stopped serving the interests of black people. And at least its current iteration serves black people up for the interests of other institutions. So when I saw um, the column last night, actually I retweeted it and had a comment. I mean, my position right now is that the NAACP is a Model T org organization in a Tesla world. It has far outlived its usefulness. Um, to your point, it is far more concerned with the the, the type of um, interests that sort of animate the 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 wokest part of the left, right? And particularly, you know, white liberals and the, their political interests. So things on abortion, obviously, I'm sure the stuff on gender will be coming next. The type of you know, Ibram Kendi, Robin DiAngelo style anti-racism. And I just don't think that those are the things that lead to the advancement of, of colored people, so to speak. So when I see an org that's supposed to be for the benefit of black folks, uh, criticizing a law that would lead to more black people being born, then I know that they, they're not really about serving our interests, they're about serving you know, some, someone else's interests. So it, it's, it's sad. Um, the last time I remember NAACP being in the news, at least for me, was when they went to Hollywood and they harassed a bunch of white B-list actors into, quote unquote, taking responsibility for racism. Um, and that's the sort of thing that they feel is necessary in this time. And I think part of it is when you morph from an organization that is trying to uh, tackle problems like you know, racism and disenfranchisement to trying to attack people, right? So you go from trying to dismantle racism to now trying to dismantle whiteness, um, you, you see that the, the NAACP is really in the midst of an identity crisis. So they're just glomming on to whatever the left is interested in in this day. And I guarantee you soon from now, they will be um, talking about you know, uh, pregnancy rights or reproductive rights for birthing people and chest feeding and everything else that you see in the left on a daily basis. Not to be argumentative, but I kind of mm -hmm. want to, if you're up for it, invite debate or disagreement or mm -hmm. an exchange of perspectives about the rich legacy of the NAACP. And so I want to lay out a little bit of context before I make my point, because 
I don't want people that, that know me and know me well to be like, well, how can Whitlock say this? But, mm -hmm. but integration is one of, to me, I, I put that legacy on the NAACP and that our leaders in the 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, focused in on integration as a solution for black people. Mm -hmm. And I, I think integration has been detrimental to black people. And the context I want to put around that is that anybody that knows me knows I ain't got no problem with white people. I, 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 I really don't. I don't have any problem working with them. I've, I've lived in neighborhoods and zip codes where there's been plenty of white people. I don't have a problem. But I'm, I'm pragmatic and smart enough to know that like every other ethnic group loves to have a little Italy, loves to have a Koreatown, loves to be amongst themselves and then integrate or engage with other groups from a position of strength, of mm. self-sufficiency, the strength mm -hmm. that comes from self-sufficiency. And so when I look at the NAACP and assess their legacy, it's like these guys help talk us in to giving away our self-sufficiency and mm. going into this integration is the perfect solution for black people. And I, it's just not. We, we, we can't engage with other people from a position of self-sufficiency. And that means we're always begging on our knees, asking for rather than standing our ground and saying, no, this is what we want or you don't get this from us. I think you make a good point, right? Um, so I'll say this. Uh, I think what we're talking about really is the difference between integration and desegregation. Um, I'm totally for desegregation, right? I don't think there should be legal barriers for, for participation in any part of American life based on one's skin color or ethnicity or religion or background, right? So I, I think we, we can agree on that. Um, but to your point, when those freedoms were won and those you know discriminatory laws were struck down i think what it caused was black folks to assume that anything that remained all black was all bad so in that in that sense i agree with you and i, I can i can get there if we're talking about you know 1955 and you you're looking at a schoolhouse in the mississippi delta that's all, you know, it was all black students and they don't have books and resources and all these other things. And then you look across the, the way in the white part of town and they have a lot more resources. I can understand why a person would associate those two things in terms of um, an all black school and a lack of resources. But what you have now is so-called black leaders, right, who I think operate in the spirit of the boys in the talented 10th, who will come into a school that's brand new, newly renovated, full library, new computers, and still say that because the school is 95% black, that is quote unquote segregated and all bad. So I think really what we're talking about, and I've, and I've used this analogy before, Jason, is in, in the 50s and 60s, we need a Judge Judy. And right now, for a lot of black folk, they need Dr. Phil because what we're what what you're saying, and I agree with, is that um, part of what we saw in winning those freedoms 
was a reflection of how we see ourselves as a community. And um, even now in 2021, it's clear that a lot of black people don't see themselves particularly highly, which is why they are always reaching for what is it that white people think? What is it that white people say? Even in cities where there aren't that many white people or you know, all the positions of uh, authority or leadership are held by black folks, there's this obsession uh, with, with the opinions, the beliefs, the behaviors, the actions of white people. So in, in that sense, I agree with you. And I, and I do think that the desire to integrate, which really speaks to how a people handle freedom speaks to that lack of, um, you know, sort of high cultural esteem because, and, 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 and really this gets to when people start talking about CRT and history, um, some of the people trying to lecture folks who are against CRT and, you know, sort of race ideology in the classroom, they don't even know their own history. They think American history for black folks goes from 1619 to the signing of Emancipation Proclamation, which I think was 1863, to 1964 Civil Rights Act, to 2008 when Obama was elected. They don't know about the rich legacy of uh, black neighborhoods where we owned hundreds of hotels and insurance companies and heating oil companies and, and newspapers. They don't know, they don't even talk about that because their understanding of black history is all about um, se- segregation, oppression, and discrimination. So. Uh, In many respects, as I said, I agree with you, but I just wanted to push that one point because um, when you talked about the talented 10th, part of what I got was a critique about the idea of a leadership class. And what I'm saying is Booker T. Washington was a leader. Marcus Garvey was a leader. They just had different worldviews than Du Bois. And there's always going to be a a leadership class. The question is, where are those people leading the, the people following them to? And, and my question or problem with these elites are they all have a narrative to me be, because they're financed and they're backed by the, these white liberals who control all their thoughts, in my view. There's a, there's a quid pro quo or there are strings attached to the money that, that's given. And so just in some of what you said there in terms of our understanding of our own history Mm. is is like when you start talking about this rich history of black businesses and uh madam cj walker becoming a millionaire and, and things all these things that we were able to accomplish the left tries to redo well you know why it doesn't happen anymore because of the tulsa massacre and and white people ended all that and Mm -hmm. and i'm like now look, the Tulsa massacre was a tragedy. No question mm-hmm. about it. But if you really want to know who ended that, we did by buying into integration as the solution. And I don't anybody that knows me knows that I'm not saying that as a way of being hostile towards white people. I'm saying it as a strategy to move all of us forward. Mm. If we had stuck together like every other ethnic group and did business amongst ourselves and taught ourselves, even if the resources weren't as good, I contend that I can, in my belief, the kids or the, the, the generations that were born, that were educated at HBCUs 30, 40 years ago, mm. much better 
than those of us from predominantly white schools, much more grounded, much more, just in my view, better. And, and I'm going to give you a, a real world example of the kind of stuff that I've dealt with in my career. When, when I was hired at the ESPN to start the undefeated, I'll never forget uh, a candidate told me that if they had a choice, this is a black person, if they had a choice between working for the undefeated, a black news outlet, or Grantland, they would choose Grantland. Why would I limit myself to a black news organization? I nearly fell mm -hmm. out of my chair. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was just, I was like, oh my God. I mean, I nearly just fell out of my chair. That, 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 mm. And it was not out of jealousy, it's not out of hate. It's just like, man, how do you see us? Because I'm telling, what I've seen from us when we work together and put our egos aside and work together, I've seen nothing but greatness. And, and, mm. and, and I hate to uh, be this narciss narcissistic or arrogant, but, but that when I left ESPN, that was part of my mentality when I went full-time TV over at Fox Sports. I was like, man, I'm going to show everybody exactly what we can do. And so when I constructed the thing at Speak for Yourself and I finally got Marcellus Wiley and Uncle Jimmy and Darnell and LeVar and TJ Husmazai, mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says, it's the best sports talk show that's been on since PTI. PTI. And if you go yeah. look at the ratings growth and the traction and the conversations, we did that. And, and literally, we're trying to duplicate it again here. And trust, I'm not against, you know, having some white people work with us on air, off air, blah, blah, blah. But I know what we can do together. And I know the kind of conversation that America, all Americans are thirsting for mm -hmm. that we can create when we're honest and free and not beholden to some liberal overseer that says, don't say this, don't avoid this truth, avoid... Blah, blah, blah. We can do something incredible and dynamic. Everybody, you know, I always point to the Cosby show and I know people don't like Bill Cosby now, but the Cosby show is, is just a great example of what yeah. we can do creatively amongst ourselves when we work together and put petty differences aside. And so that's, I, I have some hostility towards the NAACP mm. because of that. And, and I totally understand that. Uh, and I was talking to my wife about this, you know, this morning. And I said, do you know anybody under the age of 40 who is an NAACP member, right? At least the, Ur the Urban League has like a young professional network. So they, they bring in slightly younger people, you know, to contribute to their work. But the NAACP is a, is a dinosaur. And really what we're, what we're hitting on is the fact that I can't think of a single national black organization that says it's for the advancement of black people, that has at the front of its policy or cultural portfolio, um, the, the, the rebirth, the renaissance of the black family, um, you know, education excellence for black children, like actual ex excellence, not, oh, we solve the achievement gap by lowering standards for everyone and getting rid of grades. I'm, I'm not, not that. I mean, actual mastery of, of one's craft. Um, 
getting rid of toxic culture, right? I can't think of any organization that, that is doing that nationally. Now, what you see is, you know, historically black organizations that are um, into that or, or into pursuing policy and, and sort of cultural gains for different communities. So um, Black Lives Matter, and I, we've talked about this, really is an LGBT organization. Um, it used race as a Trojan horse because when you look at their original principles, none of them mentioned police or violence or brutality. None of them mentioned man or father, even in the sections about the family, but they talked about being queer affirming and trans affirming and, and sort of female focus because that's their agenda. So I think the NAACP and a lot of these other organizations that really function in the in the in the in the lineage of Du Bois have really failed us. And and that's how I'll put it. The talented tenth has failed black America. Um, and I think it's time for us to go in a different direction with a new leadership class that is focused on the actual issues that are impacting us. So I'm Jason, I'm to the point now, if you say you're a black organization or a black leader and I listen to you for long enough and I don't ever hear you mention the family at all or marriage child rearing, any of those issues, it's hard for me to really take you seriously because really what you're doing is you're a person who talks about being oppressed by white people. But when black folks say, no, there's some things that we can do, we can take responsibility for our own community. You attack those people and say, no, the key to black people moving up in this world is for the white people that I say are oppressing us to come come now and liberate us. And just as a, as a man, that type of weakness is something that I just, find repulsive. Um, I'll never get on board with that. If anybody ever sees my kids out in the street, either acting up or or uncared for, your first turn shouldn't be to the government or to their school. Your first turn should be to me. I'm their father. I'm responsible for them. But our leaders now preach a message of black irresponsibility. Not even that black people are irresponsible. What I'm saying is irresponsibility to the extent that we're not responsible for anything in our environment, nothing, right? They, if, if I bring up the fact that, you know, the black homicide victimization rate is about seven times higher than that for whites, someone from the root will mockingly respond, oh, hey, look guys, he's talking about black on black crime. And my response is, but that's important, right? If, if you care for black lives, the things taking them should be important to you, regardless of who's taking them. But those outlets would rather write articles entitled the six types of Karen or the five types of Becky. That's that's the black leadership class in a nutshell right now. And Delano, I'm hopefully I'm gonna do this quickly, but I'm gonna segue us into why I was so happy to see you on Tucker Carlson last night and, and okay. try to segue us there by trying to explain what we're trying to accomplish with this fearless project. And because I think it all relates to the NAACP and just why I'm critical and, and why I, I, I think, you know, th this mad dash for integration or whatever has has not served us properly. But part of the vision for this show was to identify guys like Delano, uh, who have a strong family, who's a responsible husband and father, and quite frankly, who's a believer. Uh, and, and elevate, uplift, give them a platform to showcase 
sorry to say it, but it's just black excellence at its, at its mm -hmm. highest level. And, and so, uh, and, and again, I don't want anybody, I, I'm, not, I'm not race obsessed as much as I am obsessed with sending out a signal to black mm -hmm. people that we gotta come back home to God Mm -hmm. And that we have to quit identifying our allies based on politics and maybe look for allies who share our beliefs. And, and for those of us who have some religious faith, uh, you know, I'm trying to Delano, Shamika Michelle, different background or whatever, but she is a believer and she has a journey that is relatable uh, to Uncle Jimmy, believer, his journey is relatable uh, to Leonidas, who, who's a part of the show now. I, I'm trying to elevate all of us and all of them and then send them out into the world to represent us, black people, on whatever biggest platforms we can get on. And to see Delano last night on Tucker Carlson show, it's the biggest platform in cable news. And he, he's not restricted in what he can say on that show. And uh, he gets to be himself and represent his family and his belief on the biggest platform. So I, I'm not anti engagement, uh, partnering with people with shared beliefs. Uh, but, but there's a special need right now because the way black people are being used, and we're being used by the NAACP, the mm -hmm. left, and others, we're being used to justify a level of wickedness mm. that's mind-blowing. Because when I see them attaching us, the NAACP, to abortion, Abortion, right. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Those of us that have any religious faith, like, whoa, really? That, that abort, the thing that's slaughtering, I think like 40% of black kids in the womb, this, this is somehow central to our identity and the NAACP has to put its name and start putting pressure on athletes. I'm like, whoa. We have to come together, those of us that are believers of any color and stripe, and, and what we're trying to do here with my partnership with The Blaze and, and with Delano and others is try to give those of us with a different point of view and a different, hey, let, let's go this route up the hill. We keep right. going that route, and it doesn't seem to be getting us where we want to go. I'm trying to... Uh, and so it, it was lovely. It was awesome to see you. And I want to play a clip from uh, you on Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, you know, I, I love the respect that he has for this show and what we're doing here. And to extend you that invitation is, is lets me know we're doing the right thing. And, and, and look, I don't need Tucker Carlson for confirmation. Uh, you know, I've been doing been involved with projects, again, speak for yourself, the undefeated, everything I did, the Kansas City Star. Uh, but to be in this position where I can help shine a light on people that are really living 
the life or trying their best to live the life that God has planned for us. It, it was, I, I, I love seeing other people recognize your intellect and what you represent. Here's Delano on Tucker's show. I don't think the debate is going on in the rest of the country. I think most regular parents understand that um, the government does not own their children, or at least I hope yes. they understand that. Yes. Um, really what we're seeing play out is, is, is two things. One is on the surface, and that really is, and which is epitomized by Joy Reid and Terry McAuliffe, which is a narcissistic classroom cosplay that involves two groups in the elite privileged class. White liberals seeking absolution for sins that they didn't commit, and black liberals seeking empathy for injustices that they didn't endure. Um, and that's on the surface. Okay. Right? I'm gonna give our audience a moment to transcribe what you just said and put it okay. in the refrigerators uh, for all time. It's such a great description. So and what you see in Virginia, in New York City, in the Upper Northwest is school systems asserting authority that they, they do not rightfully have. Our children are not theirs. Uh, my wife and I are not in a throuple with the federal government or the local government. Um, and they need to realize that parents have rights. And what you see is these, these mama bears who are standing up and saying, you can't do this to our kids. We don't want race essentialism. We don't want radical gender theory. And what I'm looking for, what I'm really hoping for is more, more dads standing up and doing, saying and doing the same yes. things. Because for too long, fathers have taken a back seat when it comes to the education of their children. That's and right. what we need now is we need more lions and fewer house cats. And so, obviously, the lions and house cats we've heard <laughs> right here on Fearless. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, empathy for things they didn't endure and, and absolution for crimes the they didn't, didn't commit. commit. We, right. Sins they didn't commit. Right here on Fear. And so, my point is like, we didn't go begging. Right. We just let Delano be excellent right here. And people are now hunting him down, recognizing his genius and intellect and exposing it to a larger and larger audience. Hats off to you, brother. Uh, I appreciate that. May God continue to bless you and your family. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to move I appreciate on. That. Okay. Shamika Michelle. All right. Thank you, Delano. Uh, YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, we're going to bring Shamika Michelle in. She's going to talk a little bit about this. She's got some personal stories that she's going to relate uh, to my conversation and Mono and Firestarter about uh, the NAACP. Shamika Michelle. for Shamoke Show, Shamika Michelle, she's listened, uh, I know she's read my column, I think she listened to my mono about the NAACP and abortions, talked to Shamika earlier this morning, she got some personal stories uh, that kind of relate to this entire conversation about the NAACP and, uh, you know, their move trying to force Texas to abandon its abortion uh, restrictions. Some of this, I think, hit home personally uh, with Shamika. I don't want to, I'm going to let Shamika tell it. Uh, Shamika, we'll, we'll first start with your thoughts on 
the NAACP taking a position on Texas abortion laws? First, Jason, do you, this is my Delano uh, look, because when I found out I was coming after him, I felt so much pressure. So, I, you know, I, I found these blue blockers. Like, I just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Delano's our leadoff hitter. Yeah, you're batting second. The second, the number two hitter is just as important. Delano sees good pitches because he knows you're coming up after him. If you, that's a baseball analogy, but anyway, uh, it's pressure. You, you don't need to look anything like Delano. You don't need to look anything like Delano. You, you put pressure on Delano. Um, yeah, I do have some feelings about the abortion thing, and that's as a woman who's had one. And so I feel like that gives me the ability to say to women, look, I understand what it feels like to feel like you don't have any other choice. But I also think it gives me the ability to say, uh, stop your bullshit. You know, I, I know what it's like to be pregnant. I know what it's like to know you're pregnant. I know what it's like to uh, know that there's a chance that you could be pregnant. So this whole thought that we're taking the voices of women or it's oppressive, it's ridiculous. You, you mean to tell me women don't know how to count their cycles anymore? You mean to tell me women don't know how babies are made? This is foolishness. And so I don't like that the NAACP is even backing this because if you're supposed to be for the advancement of colored people, then us killing uh, 600 you know, babies a day, 600 black babies a day, it's not helping us and it's not advancing us. We are the minority and we've been this way for a long time. And as, as as we continue to kill black babies, that's where we're going to stay. You make a excellent point and, and an obvious point that it, it blows my mind when people of any sort of faith or any sort of common sense can't see that black people, we've been 12, 13 percent of the American population for a long time. And perhaps it's connected to the fact that so many of our children get killed in the womb and we can't see that other communities, the brown community or the Latino community, they, they keep expanding in America. They become a higher and higher percentage of the American population. Meanwhile, we've stagnant or perhaps dipping a little bit and somehow the National Association for the Advancement. Now, if it was the National Association for the Stagnation of Black People, it would make sense. Right. Uh, but, but really, I, I consider the NAACP, I would have got into this earlier, but you know, the NAACP should change its name to the Negro, Negro Wranglers Association. Because that's what they, they're, they're there to wrangle Negroes. That's, <laughs> that's the job. That's exactly is right. To keep us that's in line. That's exactly right. Uh, and I saw something, Jason, that said the most dangerous place for a black baby is in a black woman's womb. And what we're doing across the country now, you know, fighting and you're seeing all of these black women come together and say, you know, this is these are our rights and we we should be the only ones to make this decision. Men shouldn't have a say. Well, if men shouldn't have a say, then I don't think men should have to pay child support for a child that they 
don't really want. Personally, I feel like women shouldn't get child support if they were never married to the man. That's that's my own beliefs. Mm. Well, I know there was, I know some dudes are shouting hallelujah when they heard that. Lord, <laughs> my father just caught the Holy Ghost in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it promotes uh, <laughs> irresponsibility and we, we are not promoting being responsible and accountable. As a woman, you should learn your own body. As a woman, you should take responsibility. If you don't want children, make sure you do what's necessary to not have a child. And a lot of people say, well, you know, it's the man's responsibility too. But listen, my mother always said to me, mother's baby, daddy's maybe. So if you know that you're gonna be with this child 18 plus years, regardless, then I feel like the responsibility should lay on you as a woman to make sure, hey, if I'm not ready for a child, I should not be doing the activities that would cause me to get one, especially unprotected. We know how babies come. We know how they get here. You learn that very early on in life. The other thing you related to me this morning is that you have some skepticism of the NAACP because of your own personal experiences with the organization in North Carolina. Yes, when I was 22, I had an issue at the mall here where I was attacked by a guy that I was dating actually who tried to kick my windows in in, um, in my car. And the, the mall banned me from coming to, to the mall. And so I went to the NAACP because I felt like if I was a white woman, they wouldn't, they would be wanting to protect me or make sure that I was safe. And I met the president who was uh, very popular in the town, a prestigious minister. And he actually did help me with that incident. But then it turned to, you know, me wanting him to help me with something else to that's contingent upon me sleeping with you. And I can remember having to like dodge his calls or not wanting to really talk to him if he called, but he started to tell me that he would risk going to hell for just one night. Uh, if he could be with me just one night and that really just didn't sit well with me here. First of all, you're a minister. Second of all, I'm looking to you as a young woman for guidance and help. And then uh, thirdly, you're looked at as this prestigious man in the community that everybody comes to you for help. I never spoke out about it because I, I'm just not one of these people that do that. I feel like People are going to be people, and there's nothing covered that should not be revealed, neither hid that should not be known. Everything will come to light, or as the old doctor used to say around here, it'll all come out in the wash. And that's exactly what happened in 2019, I believe. It came out that he actually had some other women who stepped forward to say he was a sex, they had been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted by him, and they actually suspended him from the NAACP. So I've never seen them do anything around here that's been helpful. It's just always seemed like it's been a bunch of old church going gatekeepers that just wanna be a part of something. I haven't seen the advancement of colored people in my own city. I've, all I've seen is a bunch of uh, foolishness from them and nothing has really advanced around here for black people at all. 
Doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, men are, are weak for the flesh uh, and not in any way justifying or, or defending the guy in any way. And I, I'm it's it's it doesn't surprise me. And, and, and I, I, I when I see because the NAACP is a political organization. And so to see all these ministers involved in something that political always raises an eyebrow with me. And, and it always makes me think, okay, what, what, what's, what's the real agenda? Uh, I'm sure, you know, I don't wanna paint them all with a broad brush and I'm sure there's people doing great work uh, in those organizations or are thinking they're doing great work and some of them they're not sexually harassing people. But uh, yeah, I, I ended up this morning, I read the story about uh, the minister and the, the two other ladies that uh, accused him of things and I'm sure it was just a long list. I, 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 I get concerned about, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm spending too much time talking about myself, but, but it does lead, lead, lend me or lead me to, to try to, people get baffled. Women in the workforce get baffled by how aloof I am. And they think it's about them. And it's really about me. I'm afraid of me. I know what I'm capable of. And so I try to keep myself in the safest of places. And, and that, <laughs> Shamika, if you remember our early conversations and you, you were coming here to uh, Nashville and I told you flat out, hey, Shamika, I, I just wanna, if, if, if I'm not very nice, if I'm not very talkative, don't blame yourself. Just blame me. I'm scared to death of one, I know I'm a target, but two, I also know I'm capable of letting some really dumb things fall out of my mouth and I'm capable of being weak. And so I just, I, I, I tend to just be very restrained and come off aloof. Actually, Jason, that's refreshing though, because as I just told the story, I feel like I've ran into so many men over the years that have always mixed business with pleasure. I'll have men tell me all the time, I see a lot in you, I see potential, I think we can do great things together. And then in the next sentence, they wanna have sex with me. And then when I say no, because I've never been the type to feel like I need to use my vagina to get ahead. When I say no, then all of a sudden, all of this potential they claim they saw is gone. So I, I was a little bit leery at first as well, but the way you respond to me and the way that you act has been very refreshing because I, I get sick of that, which is probably why I'm so hard on women that come 30 and 40 years later saying, you know, oh, I was harassed. And I'm thinking, no, what you really did was you tried to use your vagina to get ahead. It wasn't good. You didn't get anywhere. And now you're upset because your is trash. <laughs> So <clears throat> I'm going to let you go on this note. I'm going to tell another little, I, I, I'll never, because I'm just, I told a, a couple years ago, there was a woman that was Instagram model that wanted to be on Speak for Yourself. 
and, and I said, look, my desire to get in your panties exceeds my, my desire to hear you talk sports on TV. And so <laughs> we can't work together. <laughs> and so <laughs> it just won't work. I, I, <laughs> and she got very upset and was probably illegal or wrong for me to be that honest. But I was just like, no, you can't work for me. What, are you crazy? I'm not committing suicide. So right. I don't mean to you though. But tell Jimmy, huh? I don't appreciate him being honest about the note that I left him. That was between me and him. Oh, uh, I hope, I think he's still here and listening. He won't tell me what's in the note. Uh, I'm very jealous, uh, but I got to keep it moving. We got to go to Rashad McCants. All right. Thank you. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, we're going to get Rashad McCants' take on all this. We want to get an athlete's perspective. The NAACP is asking athletes to avoid Texas over abortion laws and allegedly voting laws or whatever. Let's see what an athlete has to say. Uh, can we get those likes up? Those of you watching on YouTube, those of you in the chat, can we get those likes up? I want 2,500 likes for this show. All right, Rashad McCants. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Las Vegas and bring in former NBA player uh, Rashad McCants. You know, I've, I've yet to uh, crack a joke about Rashad and uh, Khloe Kardashian, one of the first Kardashian victims, Rashad McCants. Uh, so I, I needed to, you know, Rashad, you need to know that if I'm not cracking jokes on you, it means that I don't like you. So uh, the fact that I'm, I'm going to mix Khloe Kardashian into my conversation about you means I like the work that you're doing. W what's on the front of your T-shirt? Whose man is this, man? <laughs> you going after Westbrook like that? I'm not. This is an old shirt, man. I've been wearing this shirt on all your segments. Every time you talk about it, I wear it. So I figured, what's the day removed, you know? All right. Uh, so... I've been talking and I, I sent you my column about the NAACP demanding that athletes avoid the state of Texas uh, because of abortion laws. And so just as an athlete, how would a demand like that or an, a request like that, how would that strike you? It's absolutely ludicrous, but you would have to be a very researched intelligence athlete to understand how ludicrous it is so you have to start back with Planned Parenthood and you know what the abortion thing really is about they talk about human rights right so what are human rights if humans have rights why ignore the baby's right to live so you got the NAACP going after the athletes who are the heaviest influencers to push this propaganda even further that, you know, pro-choice, my body, my choice. Like that's just a, it's another way to get women more liberation towards, you know, doing what they want, how they want to do it. And there's a, there's a baby in that, that womb. And that's most important about the messaging is you're telling these grown, these grown men and these, these grown women that, you should fight against killing babies. Like, 
you're killing kids. Like, if you don't want the kid, there's an orphanage there. That's what Texas is really showing. Like, if you don't want the kid, we're going to put the kid in some in a place where he can live and breathe and have a chance. So the NAACP being able to do that is just crazy. One of the things I don't think athletes understand is particularly, and I think most people uh, don't understand, is like Planned Parenthood is a very clever name for eugenics. And uh, eugenics is, is a big part of this white supremacy that allegedly all the woke people are fighting against. Eugenics is about improving the human species by selectively deciding who can reproduce. And so that was started by a woman named Margaret Sanger, who was uh, a self-described racist, and she started Planned Parenthood. And it's not a coincidence that black people as a percentage have more abortions than anybody else in America. And it's, it's for, that's what's so offensive to me about the NAACP hopping behind this abortion initiative. They know exactly what abortion, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, eugenics, they know what all of this is about. And they're counting on athletes being ignorant and just NAACP, and it's the black thing to do. And so, and just hopping on board. And that's what I see, Rashad, with a lot of these woke issues, with a lot of Black Lives Matters, and it's like, athletes can't see like, no, defunding the police is about to come behind that. And that, that uh, demoralizing the police so that they're afraid to police our neighborhoods is going to heighten the rate of murder and violence in our neighborhoods. And so it's like a lot of these things on the surface sound good, but in actual execution, they work against us. And I'm just wondering, when you're an athlete in your prime, from age 20 to let's say 30, and you have this 10 year window to make as much money as you can and be as successful as you can, how much time do you have to research these deeper social issues? Well, you have time. It's really, like I said before, it's a clout era. So you look at, the, they're doing a test experiment on how far the athletes can take this influence when given propaganda. So Black Lives Matter was the first thing. If we can get these athletes out there to protest, we can show the influences get greater and greater in the urban community because they follow the, the, the athletes. We can get them on board to take a knee. Everybody is going to take a knee. That was the first experiment. So the second experiment moves into LeBron James speaking in on every social injustice issue that pops up. Now, that's the herd mentality. You got that. The celebrities moving in a certain you know dynamic. Now you open this up. Now we're talking about real politics now. Now you got the athletes into real politics without real information. So the younger ones feel like they're activists now because how we paint Martin and Malcolm and all of these other uh, 
activists that actually was in the trenches, this gives them an opportunity to be in the trenches and create a legacy of activism. And so this particular NAACP call to action is the final experiment to say, if we can get these guys to co- to create a coalition here, we can do <laughs> voter laws. We can do all of the things that the politics want us to do now because we have the athletes to run the system, to run the engine. Look, up until age 22, I was a mediocre athlete, played college football, and so, and then I would say up until 28, I was, you know, still a bit of a meathead and uh, just wanted to have fun, just wanted to kick it with my boys. I, I don't think I was, yeah, I had an interest in deeper issues, but I didn't have enough life experience, hadn't done enough research. And so I, I just, I want to ask again, when you're, 21, 22, 23 years old, making millions of dollars. You have access to Khloe Kardashian and whoever else you want on the planet. <laughs> Do you, are, are you really, are you really focused on these deeper societal issues? I wasn't in my athletic career ended at age 22. I just couldn't imagine being 23 years old uh, in great physical condition, millions of dollars, and access to whatever I wanted, I just couldn't imagine that I would have time to be well-versed on criminal justice issues or abortion laws or voting laws. I, I just can't see it for these athletes. They're just they have no choice but to follow a crowd. They can't really be standing on their own base of knowledge. Right, absolutely. And where I got to right now, it, it happened after. You know, I, it, retirement, although I got the information in 2009 that kind of opened my eyes down the rabbit hole, I didn't let that deter me from what I was actually there for. And so when you say that time, we, if we're one track mind on what we're doing, we don't have the time to go down the rabbit holes and, you know, just study the research. But we do have time on our hands. So there's a lot of time that they have on their hands and whatever they decide to use that time on is looking like it's, it's going into trying to find a, a, a slot in this clout world where you can talk on these issues and kind of sound like you know what you're talking about. Right. So that's where the time comes in. It's like we don't have time to do all that stuff that you just said. We don't have time to sit around and research all this and all that. But when the time is up, that's when the action, the call to action happens and you can go into these 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 po- this politics and these these issues and talk about them. But as an athlete, it, it, it hurt everyone to hear Laura Ingram say, shut up and dribble because it hit a nerve. It's like, that's what you're supposed to be doing anyway, just dribbling and, and and playing and doing your thing. But we also have deeper rooted issues we want to talk about, but we don't have or take the time out to research and have real articulate messaging behind that. And I think that that was the message that she didn't really show and exert herself is like, be more knowledgeable about what you're talking about before you talk about it. And, you know, I like the message because it's like a kick in the ass. Shut up and dribble. 
Okay, let me go. Let me go back and get my information right, and then I'm gonna come back at you, Laura. Let's be men about it. Let's, you know, come on, man. It's if you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk about it. So, Rashad, you led or was on a led was star on a team at North Carolina that won a national championship. You got drafted number fourteen. A lot of people thought like, oh, Rashad, six foot four, six foot five, shooting guard. Is he the next Michael Jordan? And so I'm wondering, having played in North Carolina, first round NBA draft pick, uh, great third year in the NBA, averaged 15 points. What did you think of Michael Jordan as a kid watching him and then going to play at his university? What did you think about Michael Jordan and his insistence on staying out of the political arena. I remember there was a time as a young journalist, I was critical of Jordan. But when I look back now, I go, that dude wanted to play basketball, wanted to play golf. (laughs) Yes. Wanted to kick it with his friends and his dad. And I don't blame him for saying, you know what? I, I don't know much about politics. I'm not about to invest a lot of time so I can have an informed opinion. So I'm going to stay out of it. I actually respect what Michael Jordan did, realizing his, his limitations. I'm wondering for you, having played in North Carolina, and I'm sure dreaming of being the next Michael Jordan, what was your thoughts in the past about Michael Jordan, and are they different than what your thoughts about him now? I love that because I felt the same way you felt, brother. I felt like, man, Mike should be doing more for the community, should be speaking up on these topics. And there was a lot of controversy on the private prison system that had his name attached to it. And it was things that he could have spoke up on. And I was like, man, Mike, don't he's not stepping out to be that Muhammad Ali for us. And like you said, there's that that epiphany that you have. Like, that's why Mike has never been like that. And you go back to Charles Barkley saying that he's not a role model. Then you go to Michael Jordan's comment about, you know, Republicans buy shoes, too. And that kind of puts everything in perspective. When you watch The Last Dance, I didn't know Michael Jordan was that guy until I watched The Last Dance, that he didn't care about nothing but hooping and playing and being the best. Golfing was more important than actually playing basketball with him. And when it was time to retire, it was just kind of like, yeah, I think it's time. And so even now with all these political things going on, Mike hasn't said a word about none of these things and hasn't been pressured to even feel like he should say something. And that lets you know that Mike has already separated himself from politics. He's not trying to ever run for president. He's not trying to get the, the best vote out of anybody. He's doing everything he want to do. I want to own the NBA team. I got it. I got a wife, got kids, legacy, the whole nine. So like you said, I feel like Michael Jordan did everything he was supposed to do while he was playing. Now, could he talk about it now a little bit more? Of course he could, but that's not his DNA. So, um, these guys, like like you said, they coming up with this persona like they have to speak up on things. But take a note from Michael Jordan. Shut up and dribble. <laughs> I, I, I'm Or get attached to something 
that gives you that perspective? Because the thing everyone leaves out of the whole Muhammad Ali narrative is that Muhammad Ali was mentored and controlled by Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and the Nation of Islam. And that's whether you agree, disagree with their religion or whatever, that's a religious sect, religious organization that had two high intellectual people at the top of it. Whether you agree or disagree with them, they were high intellect people, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. And, and, and so a lot of what Muhammad Ali said and stood for was demanded by the Nation of Islam. Yep. And he's just repeating what he's been told. We act like Muhammad Ali set up and came up with all this stuff himself. He didn't. And mm -hmm. so I look at LeBron and all these guys, they're attached to Nike. Yep. And again, if Muhammad Ali was attached to a business that was funneling $500 million to him back in the 50s and 60s, he would have sounded completely different. Yeah. He, he would have, if when you have those type of puppet strings, $500 million worth of puppet string, you can't be Muhammad Ali. And so that, I think this whole thing of athletes trying to pretend that they're Muhammad Ali, they're chasing a ghost that they'll never catch because it can't be done in this era because these guys are attached to major corporations who don't care about social justice unless it helps them market, sell more shoes. Absolutely. And I mean, look at the Colin Kaepernick thing. I mean, he is the perfect example of I stepped in shit. I don't know how to wipe it off. I'm just going to walk around with this shit on my heel for the rest of my life. And now, <laughs> you know, like you can't. You can't avoid the fact that you didn't stand in your in your in your peace and in your energy of bringing this to light. And now you've disappeared. Now we're stuck with this kneel and social justice and fight for police brutality with the leader that is nowhere to be found. Like we're setting up our society to be led by leaderless, spineless clout chasers. Mm. Uh, we're going to end on that note because that is it. We're, we've been set up for spineless clout chasers to be our leader. Good job, Sergeant. Just want a hat for you. Sergeant, I'm gonna never bend on a break. I'm gonna get back to our man uh, Steve Kim, our cleanup hitter. We want freedom. I just wanna be, I just wanna be, I just wanna be, I just wanna be, I just wanna Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. I like that. Uh, Steve, my Asian brother from another mother, uh, you've been uh, sitting wow. back listening to the show all day. Uh oh, what's you talking about the intro or the show? Wow, wow, Th this is this is even better than the 2001 national title for Miami. I've been waiting for my next one, but but this here is like that. Wow, wow, I've made it, I've made it, I've made it. <laughs>
The Korean Cosell. I like that. Uh, Howard, uh, what do you think about uh, our conversation about the NAACP and trying to force athletes to stay out of Texas? Well, first of all, I thought your monologue was right on point. And to add to that, this has to be said, last year, a lot of these professional athletes made it a point to say we're more than an athlete, and they became these pseudo-activists. Here's the issue. With activism has to come real action. This is not just about doing a hashtag, kneeling for the national anthem, or walking off the floor, or boycotting a couple of events. There has to be real action within the community. So I think it's completely unfair that the NAACP is telling these athletes, hey, we're going to do all the barking, but you have to do all the biting. It's like that situation. I'm sure a lot of pro athletes go through this. I've read the stories where their friends come up to them and say, hey, we want to start a business. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do that. And you just put in your money. And then this, and then, then they ask them, okay, but what are you putting in? So that's the biggest problem I have with the NAACP is that you are asking athletes that have a very short window in terms of their physical prime to make a lucrative living and to create generational wealth, you're asking them to make a sacrifice with none of your own. And that is completely unfair. But the flip side is to these athletes, you asked for this. Yeah, they certainly wanted to be more than an athlete. And, you know, as I was telling Rashad McCants in the last segment, you don't even have time. Or real interest. And, and, and I'm not saying they're all like me, but I'm t- when I was young, and I didn't even have their kind of money, but, but what little bit I had, I wanted to blow on beer and women. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, what do we think these guys... Uh, what do we think these guys are and at that age? It's Jason. They don't, Jason, they don't have an interest. It, yeah. Jason, it reminds me of that old line. Yeah, I, I had a million dollars and I spent 90% of it on beer, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, the other 10 I squandered. See, here's the issue. I think a lot of these athletes were forced or coerced to kind of say, yes, we're down with the cause because there's a version of survivor's guilt. So let's go back to your point. Do I think all of these athletes are in lockstep with these initiatives, whether it's anti-abortion, voting rights, or voting legislation, um, transgender issues? They're probably not. So my view is, what if you're an athlete that's extremely conservative but black, like Rashard McCants, and let's say he's in the prom of his life, you really expect him, if it was a hypothetical situation, if a Mark Cuban said, hey, I'm going to pay you seven and a half million dollars more per year on this contract to play for the Dallas Mavericks. So is it realistic to believe any athlete would turn down more money from a Jerry Jones or anybody else because you believe in it, but I don't? Here's another thing that's not been talked about a lot. There is this, I remember that quote from Isaiah Thomas when he once said, a lot of you people think us black people come out of the wombs dribbling a basketball good enough to play in the NBA. That's simply not true. There's a lot of great athletes that simply don't have the discipline or the desire or the personal fortitude to make the sacrifices to be an athlete. You can go to a lot of gyms in America. There's a lot of six six guys that could jump through the roof. They just didn't have it to make the NBA. They didn't want to study. They they loved weed a little bit more. They loved the street. But the guys who survived, that made the sacrifices, 
they're probably thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I put in all this work. I'm the one who missed the prom. I'm the one that had to go to tournaments. I'm the one that had to get two jobs in the JUCO system waiting for a four-year scholarship. I'm the one who did all this stuff. And now you want me to stick up for a lot of people that didn't have the desire that I did, but they are forced through a certain type of survivor's guilt to at least symbolically give give, um, gestures that say, hey, I'm with you guys. And then late at night, they go to their gated community because of all their hard work. And there's so I think there's a real disconnect there because look at the situation going on now, Jason. I don't think the world's any better than it was last year. Yet most of these athletes, which is their right, they're just playing ball now. Just playing ball. Until they can be forced back into, I, I guess everyone's sitting around police scanners hoping that, you know, waiting for the next Jacob Blake to rally around, and, and then all of a sudden the athletes are, oh my God, Twitter says I have to, so I, let's, let's don't play, uh, or let's take it anyway. Let me, let me move to the games, and there's a big college football game that really matters, and for some reason, the Korean Cosell thinks there's virtually no pressure on Jim Harbaugh this weekend, as you know, he's the perfect man for this job, Wait a minute. This man needs to beat Michigan State and he needs to beat Ohio State before the pressure's off, Steve. I never said the pressure's off. The pressure is always on when you have an outsized personality with that type of salary at a program like Michigan. But Jason, you are letting your Brady Hoke homerness show here. Michigan is lucky to have this guy because I don't care what anyone says. The numbers prove it. I don't want to get bogged down in it, but his track record speaks for itself. He's an elite coach. Okay, there's not a lot of guys that could take Stanford with former future doctors and lawyers and take them to a top five finish, take a really bad Niners team and have them in the NFC Championship game three times in a Super Bowl. But there is pressure. There's no doubt about it. He has to beat Ohio State because that's been the bugaboo, even though, Jason, I know you're a Michigan fan, 2016, there was a series of bad calls that I thought bordered on corrupt that took away a victory over Ohio State uh, at the horseshoe. I don't know if you remember that game. The issue with Jim Harbaugh is that he came in with a lot of hoopla and a lot of promises. I get that. And last year they lost to a 20-point underdog while Mel Tucker was trying to build this Michigan State team on the run. That seemed to accelerate a lot of the heat. But here's my question for Michigan fans. Did you not see the era of Rich Rod, which was a total disaster, just was not a good cultural fit? Then you had Brady Hoke, who had one good year, right? And then that thing started to go down, as I like to say, like Enron stock in 2002. That thing dipped really quick to a point where all those good feelings went right out the window. And here comes Captain Pleats, Jim Harbaugh, who's had 10 win seasons, multiple And for the most part, I still think he's done a really good job. The problem is Ohio State, they've turned into an absolute monster. But with that said, you're right. I never said there isn't pressure on Jim Harbaugh. There's always pressure on these guys. But I still think he's a damn good coach. I I think he's a really good coach. But he's getting paid a lot of money. He's been able to hire whatever assistant he's ever wanted, and they spend a lot of money on the assistants. Michigan spends as much money on football as anybody, and the results they want are an occasional victory over Ohio State, and they shouldn't be getting uh, drilled 
any time by uh, Michigan State, and I'm just sorry, these two unbeaten teams, if Michigan loses this game to Michigan State, no one's going to care that Michigan started the season 6 or 7-0. and All they're going to care about is that Mel Tucker just showed up a year ago, and he just beat Michigan again, this great Michigan team that, you know, ranked in the top 10, be a bad look for Jim Harbaugh. It would be, but that's where I want to bring Michigan fans down to earth here. I'm not saying you're Army or Navy, but guys, since the era of the leather helmets, you've won one modern-day national title, which you split in 1997. Don't act like you're Florida State, Alabama, or Miami the last 35, 40 years of college football. There needs to be a reality check. With that said, you're absolutely right. Tomorrow is a must-win game for Jim Harbaugh. But to the Blue and Maze Nation, I have a question for you. Let's say Jim Harbaugh gets jettisoned or he takes an NFL job. Who realistically can you get that is better? That's the question that I have. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, uh, Steve, but uh, San Diego State is 7-0 and under yes, the direction of one Brady Hoke. And, you know, Brady Hoke's a hell of a fit at Michigan. Uh, and what he's doing at San Diego State is incredible. And Wait a minute. He knows the community well in Ann Arbor. He knows the recruiting territory. I think Brady Hoke would be a perfect fit at Michigan if Harbaugh decided to leave. Hold on. Did you just get into the hot tub time machine? Uh, g- give me a break. We saw what happened. Look, he had an 11-2 and season his first year. They had one of the luckiest victories yeah. in the Sugar Bowl against Vatek, and it went downhill, Jay. Come on. Look, Brady Hoke, he's got San Diego State undefeated. Why would he leave perfect San Diego to go back to the cold of Michigan? He don't need Michigan anymore. He's got a program. San Diego State would probably beat Michigan. If they, I hope they face each other in a bowl Whoa, game. Oh, God. So okay. We, that would be okay. awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, hey, look, last night the Packers knocked off the Arizona Cardinals. I believe you came on this show yesterday yep. and all but guaranteed an Arizona victory. I was wrong, and you know what's interesting about this game? I thought the loss of Devontae Adams ended up actually benefiting Green Bay in one sense. They had to become more or less a ball control offense. They controlled that ball for 37-plus minutes, kept Kyler Murray off the field, who was never really able to get into a rhythm. Packers, for about 85% of that game, they were the superior, dominant physical team. They did a good a job as containing Kyler Murray inside the pocket. They had great discipline in the front four and front three of any team that I've seen. And But I will say this. Once again, I like Matt LaFleur, but there are certain decisions he makes sometimes that just baffle me. They had a chance to put that game away. They had a goal-to-goal situation inside the two or three. They keep passing the ball, running these rub routes, or going to Aaron Jones, who's an excellent back. They have a guy by the name of Dylan the bull from Boston College. And I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking to myself, short of Dylan not being available, you got to jam it up there with number 28 because you're only trying to get a yard or two. And I didn't understand the play calling there, but a big victory for the Packers, and they showed that they are real. And overall, now look for Arizona, who I like. Remember this, last year Kyler Murray got off to a great start first half of the year. Let's see if he's able to sustain what he's been able to do for the first seven games because last year he also got off to a really good start. Yeah, I'm not big on short quarterbacks. That's my only knock against Kyler Murray. He makes some incredible plays, but over the course of a long haul, being five foot five is going to catch up with him, in my opinion. Uh, 
Thank you, Korean Cosell. Thanks, Jay. Have a great Our weekend. Our cleanup hitter. All right, you too. Our cleanup hitter just knocked it out of the park as usual. Uh, get those likes up. I want 2,500 likes. Uh, I hear tomorrow. That means we'll see you next week. Freedom. Looking for a breakout. Feeling like a standoff. Nothing in life. Like freedom. Came like a fighter. Striking like a ladder. Making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation. My system. No relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on a corner. Never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless. We are living. Get back. We are receiving. All deceiving. We all want to be free.